Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. And thank you for tuning in for this morning's message. My name is Adam Gandaro, and I've been given the privilege of launching a four-part series through the book of Titus, beginning with chapter 1 this morning. Nearing the end of 2021, the Lord was tugging at my heart to move on from the fellowship my wife and I were previously attending. And when I spoke to Pastor Dane about it, he really encouraged me to seek the Lord before making that decision. So I did, and now my wife and I find ourselves here at Impact Christian Church, grateful for the opportunities and experiences of the past, but more than anything, we are looking forward, reaching forward, and pressing on with what God is going to do, not only in our lives, but also here at Impact Church. But this morning, as we begin the book of Titus, Paul the Apostle, who wrote the letter to Titus, was also a man that looked forward, reached forward, and always pressed on with what God was going to do in and through his life. The title of my message today is Paul's Purposes for Godly Leadership, a blueprint for a healthy church. But before we begin, please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord Jesus, to thank you so much for your grace and your love and your mercies. Lord, we pray this morning for those that are watching and listening. Lord, we pray, Father, that for those who are weak and those who are sick, Lord, that you would touch and that you would heal. And Father, for those who are going through financial difficulties, we ask you, Father, that you would provide for your people like never before. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning what the Spirit has to say to us. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, your holy city. And we ask you now, Father, that you would bless and anoint the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In between the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, around 64 A.D., Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to a young man named Titus. Titus, who was mentioned 13 times in the New Testament, became a beloved disciple of Paul and fellow worker in the gospel along with Timothy. And according to Galatians chapter 2, Titus was not a Jew, he was Greek. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, it was Titus that Paul took with him to Jerusalem for a council meeting. A meeting about the necessity of Greeks having to keep the Jewish customs as a requirement for salvation. And the Jerusalem council said, unless you are circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, after much discussion and debate, as you can imagine, the apostle Peter settled things once and for all. 
Peter said that salvation has come by grace and faith alone. Peter said the yoke of circumcision and the bondage of the law in which we ourselves can't even keep is not a requirement for salvation, which echoes Romans chapter 5 for us, that justification, salvation, came by grace and faith alone through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. While this made Titus very happy and relieved, I'm sure, and it was this early experience that ex, uh, exposed him to, to these Judaizers and, and false teachers that, that would prepare him for the ministry and work ahead. You see, nothing that we go through is ever wasted. God uses everything, every detail, everything you've ever been through in your life to accomplish his purposes. But the last time we see Titus is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul sent him to minister to the people of Dalmatia. Now, Dalmatia was kind of a cool place because there was only 101 people that lived there. Well, that's what they say. Not everything was black and white. But Titus received this letter from Paul for the purpose of directing and a very challenging mission in Crete. The book of Titus, along with First and and Second Timothy, are known to us as pastoral epistles. Paul's instructions of pastoral responsibilities and overseers within the church. But for us this morning, the the letter to Titus is very important because it gives to us Paul's purposes and direction for establishing godly leadership and maintaining a spirit-filled and spirit-led ministry. And you might say, well, I'm not a pastor or a leader. Why should I care? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. And the reason that you should care is because not only do we have so many different religions and beliefs around the world today, but even within the evangelical arena, there are theological differences. There's variations when it comes to interpretation of the scriptures. Like, once saved, always saved. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? And even the deity of Jesus Christ is often challenged and discussed. And these are all reasons why it's so important that we are knowledgeable in who we believe in, as well as what we believe and why we believe it. Very important. And for us, the book of Titus will serve as a reminder of the necessity of knowing God's word for ourselves. So that we're never, ever 
led to believe the lie. In fact, a good example of this is found in Acts chapter 17. As the Bereans received the word with eagerness and excitement, but they also examined for themselves what was being taught. But when Paul left Titus on the island of Crete, he knew the church was in trouble. He knew that Titus would have his work cut out for him. Not only were there their Judaizers and false teachers amongst them, but the island itself was very heavy into Greek mythology. And Paul placed great confidence in Titus in handling troubled situations. Because Paul knew that the work of ministry was definitely not for the faint of heart. And that is why Paul would refer to to Titus as his true son in the faith. But here in chapter 1, as Paul begins his salutation, he lays the groundwork for Titus. And in chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You know, Paul devoted his entire life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the moment he was knocked off his horse in in Acts chapter 9, from the moment he said, Who are you, Lord? And from the moment Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. From that moment, Paul's life was devoted, committed to and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 1, Paul reveals for us his purpose, his mission, and his desire for the church. And that is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And what Paul is saying to you and to me this morning is that Impact Christian Church is here so that each of us can go further and do better in our faith through Jesus Christ. So that people like you and and people like me who love the Lord can experience victory through pain. Victory through sickness. Victory through sin and even the fear of death. So that the kingdom of God can be expanded as we make a greater impact in the lives of those around us. And it's that kind of truth, the knowledge of the truth through the word of God that leads us to godliness, Paul said. And that was always the heart of Paul for the church to further the faith 
through the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. Amen. But that can only be accomplished. That can only happen by the teaching and preaching of God's word. And this morning, I want to point out to you three purposes and objectives to maintain godly leadership within the church. Three purposes Paul instructed Titus to accomplish. And why the book of Titus is so crucial for us as a body of believers. Number one, the first purpose for godly leadership is proclaiming the word of God. Declaring or making known the word of God and the knowledge of the truth. Notice verses two through four of chapter one of Titus. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Notice how Paul in verse 2 speaks about hope in eternal life, that God has promised each of us, Before time began. In John chapter 17, the gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus, as he looked up to heaven and prayed in his high priestly prayer, he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Jesus prayed this prayer so that we who desire and anticipate the kingdom of God don't have to wait for heaven. But we can experience eternal life here and now within our hearts. Because every moment I spend with Jesus and in his word, I get to experience something of heaven Here on earth. That means the the closer I walk with the Lord, the closer I get to the Lord and his kingdom. See, heaven is not geographical. Heaven is here and now spiritually and intimately. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest expositors that ever lived, he wrote, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Hmm. That's why Paul says here in verse 3, and let me read it again, verse 3, notice. He says, And which now... At his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Wow. That means eternal life, which is now, has been brought to light through the preaching of God's word. Or proclaiming of the word of God and truth in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul lays the the groundwork 
in verses 1 through 4 in his salutation through the preaching of God's word entrusted to him. And so that Titus understands the importance of making known the word of God to the people of God by the spirit and power of God. You see, the power in proclaiming God's word lies in the fact that God's word is alive and it's powerful. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, Let lets us know how powerful God's word is. And he says, for the word of God is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and and attitudes and the intentions of the heart. Isaiah the prophet wrote, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amazing. What a blessing. That's why the teaching of the word of God has to be the foundation to any movement of the spirit. But now as Paul moves on in his letter to Titus, he's going to give him direction and the reason why he left him in Crete. And Paul is about to add to his first purpose, which was proclaiming God's word to our second purpose this morning, which is coordinating, coordinating and organizing godly leadership, leadership as a blueprint for a healthy and effective ministry. Notice verse 5 of chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Here Paul is inspiring Titus to begin to coordinate, appoint elders in every town. Remember Paul's purpose and vision for the church to further the faith of of God's elect through the preaching entrusted to him? Remember that? Well, that could never happen unless they were effectively coordinating godly leadership within the church. Elders that are going to assist the pastor in serving the needs of the people within the ministry. Elders must be ordained or or literally appointed based on their character, not their performance or political affiliation. And the first time we see that is in Exodus chapter 18, verses 21 through 25, and you can read that later. When Moses was encouraged by his father-in-law to appoint capable men who fear God, to help with the strain of ministering to the needs of the people. And Moses was instructed to appoint them as officials over thousands, over hundreds, and over fifties, and over tens. Also that Moses' workload could be lightened as the duties of ministry can be shared and balanced amongst the, the men that are appointed. 
And here Paul is encouraging Titus to do the very same thing in the same way. Appoint elders in every town to assist him over the thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. In Acts chapter 6, when the number of disciples were growing, the apostles had to choose seven men full of the spirit and wisdom to help serve the needs of the people. The apostles said it's not right that uh, for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God and to wait on tables. So they appointed godly men to help with the needs of the body. You see, it's not one man's mission, but a combined purpose and effort of godly leadership in shepherding the people of God. And that's why men and women are to be raised up in the body for the work of the ministry and for the furtherance of the faith and edification of the saints through the word of God. Now, Paul is about to give Titus a a list of characteristics to look for in appointing elders and leaders. And what I admire about Paul is that as a leader, you know, he, he doesn't just give instruction without first giving direction. Just like our pastor does the same exact thing, gives direction, doesn't give instruction without first giving direction. In other words, Titus wasn't just left to figure things out on his own. He gave Titus directions what to look for when appointing godly leadership. Notice verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Very, very important. Notice how these descriptions are based upon character, not abilities, but character. Paul wanted a certain kind of man to serve as an elder. An elder is not necessarily an older man in age, But he must be a mature man, one who knows God and walks with God. An elder is a mature man who is blameless and upright in character. One who holds firmly to the truth in Jesus Christ. And he does this by encouraging others through sound doctrine. And able to refute all those who oppose the truth. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that whoever desires or aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. A good thing. 
Yes, these are high expectations. But if God's elders, overseers, and and pastors of the church today do not exhibit these characteristics, then they cannot faithfully teach the flock, protect the flock, and shepherd the flock, the flock that belongs to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Because everyone who has been given much, the Bible says much more will be required. Jesus told Peter, if you love me, Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. So not only was Titus's first purpose proclaiming God's word, and secondly, coordinating and appointing leaders to help in the ministry, but thirdly and lastly, Titus's purpose was to dissolve dissolving and silencing the corruption that was growing inside the church of Crete. Individuals that Paul said were rebellious and and deceptive. And these false teachers were burdening the people by placing regulations on what day a, a week they should be worshiping. And even how they should be dressing and also what they should be eating. And Paul is saying not only are they deceiving the people by false teaching, but they are also robbing the people out of their money. Notice verses 10 through 11 of chapter 1. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. They were dressed up as spiritual leaders, creeping in to gain the trust of the people, but because there was no structure within the church, there was no shepherding of the sheep, they were taking advantage of the lack of knowledge of God's word that the people had. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the people were falling prey to these various doctrines in Crete. And Paul left Titus in Crete to put things in order using the word of God. And even today we have the same issues of false teachers taking advantage of the people by misrepresenting the gospel. And you can find them all over the internet. You can find them preaching a different gospel and introducing you to another Jesus. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be a curse to the lowest hell. Wow, those are heavy words. Let them be accursed if any angel or anybody preaches to you any other gospel. That's how serious false doctrine is. When Jesus himself spoke to the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23, he said, you hypocrites, 
You shut up the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you yourselves don't even enter. Wow. And that's what religious false teaching does. It blinds you by doing the thinking for you. That's why proclaiming the word of God, coordinating godly leadership, and dissolving corruption within the church is a blueprint for a healthy church. So that the people of God can discern for themselves in their hearts and minds false teaching when they hear it outside the church and recognize it when it makes its way inside the church. Hmm. That's why Paul wrote to Titus in verse 11. He says, And these people must be silenced and dissolved. And Paul knew from one of their own prophets that the Cretans were dishonest and evil. And they were only involved in ministry for the money. And Paul was not afraid to go on record by saying so. Notice verse 12 of of chapter 1, 12 and 13. Notice verse 12. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are lazy, liars, brooders, gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Hmm. Notice how Paul encourages Titus to confront them. Paul encourages Titus to rebuke them sharply. Don't allow them to continue in disrupting the ministry. And that's what the purpose of godly appointed leadership is all about. To rebuke sharply anything that is coming against the gospel and leading people astray. Because confrontation delayed is conflict multiplied. Which means if you don't quickly stop it, then it will quickly grow out of control. And Paul's rebuke here is is not the end, but only the means to an end. And the reason I say that is because Paul's heart and desire for the people of Crete is that they would ignore those who reject the truth by becoming sound in the faith themselves. See, that's the key. Notice again the second part of of verse 13 uh, at verse, and then we'll go on to verse 14. Notice verse 13. It says, Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Paul is saying that these individuals that are rejecting the truth know the truth but have purposely turned away from the truth to teach lies. Wow. They have actually become castaways. And Paul is encouraging Titus that regardless of those castaways and all their fables and their false teaching, Titus is not to let up on these guys. 
but keep himself focused and centered on the scriptures and in the scriptures no matter what. And that is your responsibility and my responsibility to keep ourselves focused on the scriptures and in the scriptures not to ever let up. Notice how Paul continues on in in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Wow. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16, verse 19. Paul said, I want you to be wise and knowledgeable in the things that are good. But I I want you to be naive in the things which are evil. You know, sadly today, many believers know more of, of the jokes of the world and and the things which are evil than they know about the Holy Scriptures. Do you ever wonder why it's so easy to memorize songs uh, and lines from movies than to memorize just one chapter in the Gospel of John? Well, the reason is because Satan is the God of this world. And because he's the God of this world, he makes it easy to conform to this world. He makes it inviting. And he makes it harder to transform against the world. You see, in order to go against the grain, we have to remember that we're in it, but we're not of it all the time. We're in it but not of it. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is and His pleasure for your life. Because to the pure, all things are pure as they remain pure. Amen. Here Paul is revealing to us that these false teachers and Judaizers have a a form. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power by their actions, by what they're doing. They had a depraved mind, meaning they already disqualified themselves from service. They had no intention of ever Speaking the truth. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 28. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind or a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. And Paul is saying because they deny God with their thinking and in their actions. Anything they do and anything they say is no good. Don't listen to them. You see, it's only when we conform our thinking to God's truth and to God's word can we then live a life that is pleasing to God. But lips that praise God don't mean anything when they are combined 
with a lifestyle that denies him. Paul says they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for the kingdom of God. And now that Titus has received the inspiration, instruction, and direction of Paul's purposes for godly leadership, he is now ready to look forward, to reach forward, to press toward the goal and the upward call of God for his life. And that is to, number one, proclaim the word of God by the spirit and power of God to the people of God. Secondly, to coordinate spiritual leadership within the church that will help him in teaching sound biblical doctrine. To find men that are blameless, faithful to their wives and able to manage the house of God and men that hold firmly to the truth that has been as has it's been taught. And thirdly, to dissolve, refute, and confront immediately the false teaching and legalism and mysticism that is not only taught outside the church, but also making its way inside the church. You see, wherever God sows the truth, you can bet Satan will quickly show up to sow the lie. He doesn't waste any time. That's why it's so important for us, the people of God, to be knowledgeable and grounded in who we believe in, what we believe, and why we believe it. Paul told Timothy, Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. In closing, before I, my wife and I parted ways from the former fellowship we were attending, Pastor Dane asked me a question that took me some time to, to process. He said, why do you want to leave a ministry that has so many programs and events in which to participate in? To attend a church that doesn't have all those programs on its roster. And when I began, when I began to think about that, the Lord brought to my mind the early church in the book of Acts. You see, the first church in Jerusalem didn't have committees. They didn't have programs. They didn't have strategies or financial resources. They probably didn't even have a a children's ministry. But what they did have was great power and unity through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And even though there might not be a roster full of programs here at Impact Church yet, there is, however, great power and unity as we love, learn, and serve together our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what makes a greater impact. And it's all possible because of the foundational teaching of the Word of God. So that each of us here this morning can go further in the faith and in the knowledge of the truth that leads us all to godliness in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord Jesus, to thank you so much for your grace and love and mercies. Father, once again, we pray for those who are weak and those who are sick amongst us. Lord, we just pray that you would touch and that you would heal. Just right now, those that are listening, Lord God, that are weak, that you would touch them and heal them according to your will and according to your grace. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to continue to do in the future. And we thank you and we praise you and we give you the honor this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.